Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy talks about how you can be free from legalism and live in the grace and freedom of God. Enjoy the message. I want to talk about how to not live a legalistic life, but to live a life that is free in Jesus, a life that is full of joy, a life that's full of life. We're going to look at a topic that makes one church welcoming or another church clicky. We're going to take a look at a topic that could set you free or set you into bondage. Now, I don't know if many of you knew this, but uh, some of you do, do if you've been with us for a while. But if you're a guest and you don't know my story, I wasn't always going to be a pastor. I studied to be, uh, for a little bit, to be a broadcast journalist in meteorology, all right? It's uh, heavy rains today, but don't worry. The clouds are going to break up tonight, a low of 42 degrees. You know, it's something like that. So that, that's, that's what I did for a little bit. And then I also chased storms with a storm spotter named Ralph. And so that was fun. Um, but that was not my lot in life. Um, I was not made to chase storms in the atmosphere. God had something different for me. And I can get into that at a later time, or you can ask me at a later time why. But God moved me from moving atmospheric storms to spiritual storms. And it was that time I realized I needed to get out of the school I was in. I want to go all in. I'm going to go to the nearest Bible school and start studying to be a pastor. The nearest Bible school to my, my, uh, my home was, had a reputation. And it had a reputation of being kind of, well, what they call legalist. A bunch of rules. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. A workplace or uh, if you're with an organization and they have a number of rules, that's not necessarily bad. That's not necessarily bad. Uh, having rules... Um, could, uh, there could be very specific reasons why there are rules or regulations, but there's a fine line between adhering to rules and believing that these rules are going to get you closer to God and have him love you more if you abide by these rules. Does that make sense? And so I was at this school, and I, I went in knowing that it was full of rules. Like, I, in order to go to class or chapel, I had to wear a suit coat and tie. I didn't own a suit coat and tie, so I went to the Goodwill, and I bought, like, all the suit coats and ties I can buy for 99 cents. And it was like retro day every day for me. Like I wore 1970s stuff. They actually made a rule the next year, no retro wear. <laughs> Sorry. It was cheap. It was fun. All right. So, um, but you had to wear a suit coat and tie. And if you didn't make your bed, it was a $5 fine. If you didn't go to chapels, a $15 fine. And you couldn't wear shorts. And there's a number of other things. I think you couldn't, you couldn't hold on to a hymnal unless you're dating. And no, that was a joke. But, but, you know, you had all these different things that were, just expectations at the school. And, and again, rules in themselves aren't bad, but, and, and you shouldn't break a rule just because you don't like it, but it was the heart behind it that really kind of made me uneasy. You see, the rule book at the school was just about as thick as the Bible. It's about this thick. And between, behind each rule was a Bible verse saying, I'd be okay if it just said, hey, here's the rule, but it was almost tied to this is why you should live this the rest of your life. So something happened one time, and again, in retrospect, I'm the wrong one in this one because uh, uh, we, you shouldn't be a rebel for the sake of being a rebel. That, that, that shows that there's something in the heart that's not right. But I'm going to share this story nonetheless. Um, I was uh, with my roommate, and we had a Bible conference on a particular evening we we're going to go to. I really wanted to hear this speaker. He was from a particular part of the world that I felt very uh, that would be really enriching and very interesting. Uh, but we had to wear our, our three-piece suits. Girls had to wear uh, dresses below their ankle. Um, yes, this was uh, 2001, folks. Yeah, not uh, 191891. But, uh, um, but so dresses below the ankle, and, um, and if you didn't attend, you get a $15 fine, and you had to wear the classroom dress. 
And so I, we were out and about, and my roommate's car broke down, and it was a cold day. It was like a diesel vehicle. It broke down. Well, he knew how to fix this. He was kind of like a side mechanic. And so he decided, I'm going to fix it right now. And so he's fixing it, and I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, man, I, my goodness, like, this is, we're going to be late. And I realized by the time he got the car fixed, we were not going to be able to get back in time to get in our classroom dress and chapel in time to get our check mark next to our name to where we have credit and then we can hear the speaker. So I had a grand idea. And this is where I was a little wrong. All right? We'll just go in in our jeans and t-shirt and we'll go in and we'll listen to the speaker because we really wanted to hear him. Right? But inside my heart, just a little bit, I wanted to see the reactions too. Okay? That's where I was wrong. You know, because, you know, when there's rules and legalism, listen, sometimes it brings out the worst in you, right? So we go into the, we, you're shaking your head, yes. Okay, you rule breakers. All right, so, but, uh, so I, we walk into the chapel and they're, you're know, listening to the speaker and as we're walking and people are noticing we're wearing our jeans, our, our evil jeans and our t-shirts and, and we're walking in and, and there's just this kind of a crescendo of whispering and there begins to be people pointing our direction and I realized, oh no. That wasn't my intent to, you know, be the object of people's attention, but the attention was no longer on the stage. It was now on my roommate and I and what we were wearing. And man, we got in so much trouble. We went to the dean's office. We had to explain why we were wearing the jeans or whatever. And part of inside of me is like, man, this is kind of silly. I brought it upon myself. And, and, and the thing is, I need to accept the rules of that we're at the place. But I think the thing that I think is legitimate is, is that for, for many there, that was the side of a three-piece suit or dress below the ankle was a sign of godliness, and that has nothing to do with godliness. In fact, you could, it's, there's a fine line between a rule and becoming theology that, that, that it, there's a fine line being broken in our hearts this morning. It might not be what we wear, but there's different things that we like to be legalist about that we don't want to approach in grace and approach in the love of God. And I saw this personified in a, in a huge way in one of our missions trips in Jamaica. Uh, when I was a youth pastor here previously, um, we took, I think, four or five trips to Jamaica. So many of you were, were in Jamaica with me. Um, but at one particular church I went to, we were, uh, the pastor said, hey, go door to door, invite people to our church. I'm like, okay. So we went door to door, knocking on the doors, uh, um, and we were inviting people to church. And the thing, the message that we were getting from people was, we can't go to that church. I said, well, why? Well, because we, we don't have Sunday's best. We don't have good enough clothes. I'm like, well, obviously you've misheard something. Obviously you've misheard something. I'll go talk to the pastor. He's going to love it that we have all these people coming to church. He's going to have an attendance record this Sunday. So I'll talk to him. So I talk to him and say, hey, you know, we have these people in this neighborhood over here, and they're, they're, they're a little worried that they can't come to church because they don't have the proper, you know, nice Sunday best. And again, I'm not against, if you're, you want to wear Sunday's best this Sunday, Go for it. I, 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 you know, don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, that, I'm, I'm fine with that. But when it becomes a requirement or when it becomes something that is a act of, I want God to notice me more or love me more, then it's a bad heart issue. Or when we say you have to do this before you come in, then it's an issue of legalism. And that's exactly what was happening in this particular church in Jamaica. The pastor said, no, they need to wear their Sunday's best. I said, but they're poor. They don't have enough money. He's like, I'm sure they can pool their money and take it away from the type of food they buy or the type of entertainment they have, and they can get Sunday's best, and then they can come in. My heart just broke. Some of you probably remember that. My heart just broke. It's like, really? But listen, oftentimes legalism doesn't rear its ugly head in such an obvious way like that. Legalism has one million flavors that nuances in our heart this morning in my heart. And legalism is anything that you're trying to gain salvation or favor or love from God by your works. 
There's a big difference in obedience. Obedience that is, that is, that is devoid of faith is not obedience at all. You're doing it to try to prove yourself to God. Uh, obedience that is in reaction to what Jesus has done is an act of love, and that is what God is after this morning. It has everything to do with faith. It has everything to do with the response of who God is to you, not in trying to prove God and hopefully that, you know, you'll make him happy. Legalism is simply pursuing good works with the intent of securing saving favor for yourself. In legalism, who is doing the saving? You are. You're trying to save yourself. You're trying to save yourself so you can please God not to be angry against you, and it's totally backwards. We have a very personal God who has come to save you and what we could not save ourselves from. You see, there's a lot of pride that can come in our own spirit of like, yes, I saved myself, but we don't understand what predicament we're in without Jesus. We can't save ourselves, but this whole idea of legalism wants to creep back into our heart. John Piper states it this way, the essence of legalism is when faith is not the engine of obedience. When we work hard for God in order to earn his favor, we are not operating with faith. Instead, we are saying that we must add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. His work wasn't enough, and it was enough. You want to know why? Because he said it's, it, it is finished, and he rose from the dead. Raising from the dead, I'm in, right? <laughs> Legalism is diametrically opposed to the gospel of grace of which Jesus demonstrated and we are to proclaim. Five signs that you are personally, or we as a church, are struggling with legalism. Listen, we will all struggle with this. We can say, oh man, that person is just legalistic. Well, guess what? I am too, and you are too at times, and we got to constantly root this out. We need to be people of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Sign number one is this. They have a critical spirit towards others. You have a critical spirit towards others. God's undeserved favor must extend to others. You see, when we forget where we came from, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you forget, there's one time that you weren't a follower of Jesus. And, there, and because you weren't a follower of Jesus, somebody had to share the message with you and you had to receive it in faith. When we forget the predicament that we were in, we will not extend the grace that was given to us to others in our life. And that's toxic. You see, we are to be ambassadors of, the, of God's love and grace. But when we become critical, we begin fighting over all sorts of things that Jesus did not die for us to fight over. You see, when we have a critical spirit in the church, it typically manifests itself over fighting over our particular uh, desires, personal desires or preferences or, or things that are, that are small in nature. I remember when we were uh, getting carpet color, and no, our church did not fight over carpet color. Yay, church, we win. Okay, so, but we were getting carpet color for our lobby uh, in our hallways. Uh, but when we went to the carpet store, the person that was selling us the carpet said, you should have been here last week. And I was like, oh, really? What happened? It's like, we had an organization, and they're Christians. They'll be remain nameless. I'm like, okay. And it's like, they brought 20 of them here because they couldn't all agree on what color they wanted. It's like, so they thought that bringing 20 of them into the store, which the store's not very big. I'm like trying to visualize this. I'm like, my goodness, okay. <laughs> it's like, so they brought 20 of them in the store, and they began to just duke it out on what color they wanted. It was like a UFC cage match at Carpets Plus, all right, <laughs> over the carpet color. But that's what happens, when we start focusing on things that are not of the gospel, we just start acting odd, and we fight over the most bizarre things. It manifests itself also to people that are not followers of Christ, people that are unchurched, and trying to judge an unchurched person like they should act like they follow Jesus. Listen, if someone doesn't follow Jesus, they're not going to act like they follow Jesus, right? And when we try to say, hey, you that 
You don't follow Jesus, but I want you to do this. I don't want you to say that. I want you to act this way. I want you to think like me. Listen, what you're trying to tell them is you need to clean yourself up before you come in here. You need to clean yourself up before you receive the message of Jesus Christ. And that is contrary to what we see in the Gospels. Jesus has you come as you are. Jesus has you come in the condition that you find yourself in right now. And so many people are like, I can't go to church or I can't receive the love and grace of Jesus. You don't know what I did last week or you didn't know what I did a couple months ago. You don't know the thing that nobody knows about. If you really knew me, you would know that I have no business going to church. And that's precisely the message we want to squash this morning. Is the message of legalism, that would be true. But the message of grace and love that Jesus Christ has by dying on the cross and us receiving it by faith, it's a message that can be received by anyone and everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ right now. It's the most inclusive, exclusive message in the entire world. Anyone and everyone, say anyone and everyone, anyone and everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ receives Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus and the benefits thereof of being a son and daughter of the king. It's exclusive because you can only find this in Jesus. You can only find this in Jesus. So critical spirit. Number two, you might be batting legalism if you equate spiritual performance with eternal security. You're like, man, when you feel like you did something wrong, I know that we've all felt this way. We're like, man, am I really saved? Or man, does God really love me? I, you know what I did last week? Well, yeah, uh, I don't know. How could God love me still? I felt that before, right? Like, how could God still love me? The same way, anyway. I mean, maybe his love meter went down just a little bit, you know? He's pretty mad at me right now. And when we equate our spiritual performance with our eternal security, we have reverted from the grace message to a works-based message. Now, I'm not saying that our lifestyle shouldn't matter. It does matter, and it matters in how we enjoy God and how God uses us and, and, and seeing a life that, from an eternal perspective, yes, is very important. But we get this mixed up when we think that we have to do this to somehow gain God's favor, salvation, or love for us. The thing is, God has unconditional love for you, and you receive that unconditional love when you place your faith and trust in him. Number three is Pride. A church or person that embraces legalism think they're a notch above other people. They think they have it all together. They know everything and nobody else can quite measure up. Now, I haven't met anybody that has talked that way. (laughs) All right. But you've probably met somebody who acts that way. And you know what? You and I have acted that way too. There's been times where I've been a know-it-all and I've been all wrong. Right? So legalism makes you feel like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just a notch better, I'm better than everybody else. Number four, sin is glossed over. Sin is glossed over. Everyone sins. Everyone's going to be tempted. There's a big difference, by the way, of struggling with sin and embracing sin, okay? Uh, there, this is getting mixed up today in, in the church world uh, where people are like, oh, well, you know, we're just all sinners, and people are usually equating that to just do whatever you want to do. That's not what the Bible's saying. You can, we're all going to struggle with sin, We're going to struggle with sin until we're in the presence of Jesus in heaven, right? There's a big difference between a struggle and embracing, all right? Now, what happens in legalism is you preach one thing. You preach this message of you shouldn't do this, but behind closed doors, you're doing that very thing. You're doing that very thing, and you bury that thing because you don't want anybody to know. We see that as a classic example with the Pharisees. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. He called them the cup that was nice and clean on the outside, but it was dirty on the inside. Have you ever grabbed a cup where it just looked really clean? You look inside and like, oh, right? Like either the dishwasher didn't work or like someone put it in the cabinet. They shouldn't, or worse yet, it's at a restaurant. 
That's what Jesus called the Pharisees, the religious authorities. They look good on the inside. They're preaching the right things, perhaps not all the time, but their inside is ugly. And the spirit of legalism tries to cover that up. Number five, a lack of joy. Listen, Jesus came to forgive us of what we could not do ourselves. God created us to have a relationship with him. Our sins alienated us from him. And listen, if that was the message, if it ended right there, uh, it would be hopeless. So what people try to do is they try to work their way to God to try to make him happy. But listen, there's nothing that you can do. Uh, our, our righteousnesses are filthy rags, Isaiah says. And so there's nothing that we can do to make us, ourselves right with God. And if we were to end our service today, say, goodbye, we can't make ourselves right with God, that'd be a pretty depressing message, wouldn't it? I, I don't know why you'd want to come back to church next week, right? That's not the message. The hope is this. What we cannot accomplish ourselves, Jesus accomplished on the cross. He came to this world full of love and mercy to die on a cross to pay for your sin debt in full. You see, here's the deal. You or I couldn't go on the cross to pay for the sins of the world because we've sinned and we're not perfect. We couldn't pay the debt of the sin. But Jesus, being God-man, sinless, full of love and mercy, went to the cross and paid our sin debt, past, present, and future in full. But you want to know why the resurrection is so important? Because without the resurrection, that payment wouldn't have been cashed. Jesus wrote a little check when he's on the cross, and it cleared when he rose from the dead. You want to know why? Because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death, which means if you sin, we're going to experience spiritual death unless we're rescued. Jesus came to this world. He's sinless. He does not die or need to die because he, knew, he knows no sin. So he destroyed the power of death when he resurrected. And it's a beautiful thing. And it should make us pretty joyful, shouldn't it? It should be something that shouldn't rob us of this joy. It shouldn't be a somber moment like, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Ah, Easter's in a couple weeks. No, it should be like, can you believe it? Have you heard the good news? He rose from the dead. He's alive. We're alive. That means the circumstances we're going through right now pale in comparison to the reality that we have in Jesus Christ right now. Nothing can take that from us. Nothing. You think about something. Nothing. You think about something. Nothing. Nothing. First Peter 1.8 is a verse I've mentioned, I don't know, 50 times, and before I retire, I'll probably read another 200, so memorize it with me. <laughs> First Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. This is Peter writing. Peter's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Peter's saying, If you're in Jesus, there's not even words to describe how awesome you're to experience Jesus, the joy that you're going to have. I don't know about you, but I want a piece of that inexpressible joy. Don't you? I want a piece of that inexpressible joy. And this is where it starts. It starts with we quit performing for God and we start living for him because guess what? It's not that I have to pray. It's not that I have to read the Bible. It's I have to go to church or I have to be led by the Holy Spirit. It's I get to. I get to and he's going to work and live through me and we're going to live naturally supernatural lives. That is a death of legalism because we have to kill legalism because legalism is a cancer. It's a cancer to the church of the joy that we are entitled to have through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, here's the main point. Your joy will grow in grace or grow cold by legalism. 
Your joy will grow in the grace of Jesus or it's going to grow cold by trying to prove yourself to God. You know, there's a whole book that deals with legalism. It's called the book of Galatians. If you're, you have your YouVersion app, turn to your YouVersion app now. If you have your Bible, turn to your Bible. If you're regular with us, I ask you to go to your YouVersion app or, or your physical Bible because I want you to mark it up and make it your own. But if you're a guest today, we put our scriptures on the screen as well. And we're going to go to the book of Galatians. Galatians is an interesting book because it's a book that deals with legalism. It's such a cancer to the church and cancer to the gospel. Now, the book of Galatians deals with churches that were planted in the province of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, a very hotbed right now in the news, okay? Uh, middle of Turkey. And here's these churches that Paul planted. And he laid the foundations of the gospel. People are placing their faith in the gospel. But as soon as he left, some people crept in. And they began distorting this message and saying, it's not free, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. What do you mean you can't do anything? Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah, we know that Jesus died on the cross, but you have to do this too. And so this message was creeping in to the church. And Paul was startled. In fact, we see this. Let's go ahead and read it. It's Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's writing a letter to the churches of Galatia, all right? And this is typical. When you read the letters in the New Testament, because a lot of the New Testament are letters inspired by God, so they're for us today as well, too. This is revelation for us. Okay, but he's writing a, a typical opening to a letter. Now, what usually happens after this opening is he says some nice things. You know, like, you know, when you see someone for the first time, like, hey, 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 uh, you know, things are going good. How are you doing? You're doing, you're looking so good. You don't look like you've aged one bit. Uh, yeah, oh, that's great. You know, like, usually you say some nicest things. Not in this book. Paul goes right for the jugular because the gospel is at risk, and he realizes if this is not corrected, he's one generation away of Galatia being totally annihilated in the faith. So he doesn't, he just cuts right to the chase. Verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of you who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I'm still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. What he means by that is he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Everybody looked to him as the man the man of the law, until he found Jesus. Or rather, Jesus found him. And his life was changed. And he lost all his friends. And not just losing his friends, they wanted to kill him. He is pleasing Jesus and not man. He's like, Galatia, you have to do the same thing. You have to do the same thing. So let's take a look at this. Point number one is, you can only find one gospel. We see this in verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And they're thinking, okay, what's a different gospel? Not that there is another one. <laughs> there is no other gospel. 
Paul hears that these Galatians have been deserting the gospel that he handed down to them from Jesus. And he did not react in uncontrolled anger. He reacted with precision, realizing what was at risk here, the gospel of grace. Jesus made clear there is only one gospel. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus said. And Paul is quick to point out there is not a buffet, a buffet of gospels where you can just kind of pick and choose here. You can kind of take what you want from the message of Jesus right here, the message of Paul, and you can kind of just mold and make your own gospel. It reminds me of the verse that says, who are you, Clay, to tell the potter what to do? The gospel is not our own making. It was handed down to us from Christ himself. And what Paul is saying here is, you cannot have it both ways. You can't make the gospel of Jesus into something of your own making, have a little bit of the world here and a little bit of the world there. The gospel is free. It's given to you from mercy of, from God above through Jesus Christ, the God-man, who gave you grace that's undeserved favor when you receive him in faith. You see, grace is free. The different gospel was that it came from an outside religious body, these people that were called Judaizers. They came into the church and they wanted the best of both worlds. They, they, they wanted to please their, their, their Jewish relatives and they wanted the power of having a message that just seemed a little bit deeper, a little bit more peculiar, a little bit, they just wanted a following. And, and the best of both worlds for these false teachers was they had, the, they had the listenership of the people and they had the approval of the Jewish authorities. And it's everything that Jesus opposed. Everything. But the gospel's free. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That word justified means simply you, when you find yourself in Jesus Christ, when you place your faith and trust in him alone, you are found to be not guilty. Your sin, you are guilty, you're alienated before God. But the awesome message is this. Anybody and everybody who places their faith and trust in him alone will have eternal life, will be forgiven, and you'll be justified. The righteousness, the perfection that's on Jesus, he will see on you. He's not saying you're going to be perfect or we should walk around and be perfect. No, -uh, we won't. But he's seeing you as, as you've been forgiven, as you've committed no sin. Your sin's been cast on the ocean floor. And it's free. It just requires that you reach it through faith and take what he did on the cross. He said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. There wasn't an asterisk saying it is finished after 12 months of payments on time. He didn't say it is finished with an asterisk saying uh, sale ends Saturday, right? He said, it is finished, period. I remember one time, who hot? I like that transition. I remember, time, I remember one time, who hot? Had a night where it was free food if you dressed up as Genghis Khan. And so a few people from church like, hey, Andy. Free hoo hot. You and Allison need to go. Allison was working at Sylvan, so I brought like my, my six-month-old at the time, Elias. I'm like, I will be there. And I'm like, okay, I have nothing on Genghis Khan right now. So what am I? I just want free food. 
So you know what I did? You got to humble yourself a little bit here, okay? So I went and got my bathrobe, and I got a colander, put it on my head, got a little mustache going right here before I had my beard, and I was Genghis Khan. A bathrobe and a colander. Now here's the scary part of this. Apparently our church is the only one that got the memo that if you had dressed up as Genghis Khan, you got free food. Because I'm walking in, I'm one of the first ones there, and I'm in a bathrobe and a colander on my head. And you always wonder if there's going to be something free, if it actually is free. But you know what? As each one of us dressed up as Genghis Khan showed up, we got our free food. And as I'm looking at people and they're paying full price, I'm like, what are you doing? It's free. Why are you paying for it? It's free. You just got dressed up as Genghis Khan. You're in a bathrobe. Be quiet. It's free. And I'm telling people in the parking lot, you better be Genghis. It's free. It's free. It's free. I was a hoo-ha evangelist. Why? Because it really was free. No asterisks. None. I'm sure you could hold your fork up and say you're a Genghis Khan and they give you your bill free that night. It was free 99. Free. And listen, it might not be hoo-hot. It could be the free donuts on donut day. It could be free the free ice cream on ice cream international day, right? It could be the free pancakes you get at IHOP on pancake international day. Whatever free day you find, people go nuts and they stand in line. Why? Because they're like, it's free. You're calling people up. You got to get over here. It's free. It's free. And listen, I want to tell you something. There's something much greater than who hot. Ice cream, donuts, coffee, you name it. It's Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. He went on the cross. It's free. It's free. It's free. And the thing is, people are easy to say these things that you eat, you digest, and it's gone. It's easy to be an evangelist of a donut. But for some reason in the church... We bury this message and we add an asterisk and we say, you got to act like this before you receive it. I want to tell you and to everybody that's not out there right now, it's free and it's beautiful and it gives you joy that's inexpressible that no matter what you face in your life right now, and some of you are facing some deep, deep testing right now, this is joy that's unshakable and the free gift of Jesus Christ is yours and nothing can take you from his hand. Nothing. But you know what? When you realize that, there's a little party that just happened here, wasn't there? You know what happens when the party gets started? Somebody comes by and says, you better stop that party. The party poopers come in. They want to put a little asterisk right next to that free. Oh, no, 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 no. You got to do this. Now, I want to time out here for a second. The Bible talks about sanctification. Sanctification is a big theological word saying, going more like Jesus. You will not experience this joy that's inexpressible if you refuse to grow to be like Jesus. But you growing like Jesus has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with the cross. That's salvation. When we get sanctification and salvation mixed up and we mix it together, we have works-based salvation that doesn't save. Does that make sense? Just to remind you, it's free. And in the case of the Galatians, these false teachers, they came in to preach a faith plus works that the gospel can't be free. And in this case, it was circumcision, 
<laughs> That's odd, right? Circumcision, which was actually a sign for the Israelites that uh, they were a covenant people. Circumcision, ouch, right? Second point is, our, but here's the thing. We can look at that and say, okay, that's great. It's free. Our natural bent is for legalism. Our natural bent is for legalism. We see this in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, you are quickly deserting the gospel. It wasn't like, oh, let me ponder this for a moment. You're like, whoa, this, this teaching's kind of deep. And I'm not against deep, deep teaching, but sometimes when we hear something new, it's fascinating, right? Just because it's new doesn't mean it's right, Right? You got you to compare, what did Jesus say? What did the Bible say? And they quickly started to desert to where Paul's response was in Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has fooled you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish, fill in your name. We are so easily astray by legalism. Galatians were easy to lend their listening ear to the legalists and in doing so began to embrace that added work was necessary for the free grace. And that's an oxymoron because if you add something to free, it ain't free anymore. And we all must be warned this morning, we are at risk of legalism by burying the gospel of grace with fights and worries that take us away from the vision of being his disciples, spreading this gospel of grace. Galatians 5, 7 through 12, Paul laments again to the Galatian church. He says, you are running well. We're not running in circles. We're not going to run into a figure of eight where we're like, what are we doing? We are running towards the prize that Jesus Christ himself has put before us. So he says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of bread. And I have confidence in you, that, in the Lord, that you will take no other view. The one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So he's exhorting them. You need to get away from this person, this teaching, and specifically it was circumcision. Verse 11, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He wouldn't be. In that case, the offense of the cross would have been removed. But this is what he really thinks. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Ouch. I'll let you exegete that one on your own, okay? <laughs> Here's the deal. If you're in Christ, you're in his love. Legalism says you can't be loved. You can't be loved to the fullness. Oh, somebody else, they deserve it, but you don't. That's legalism. But listen, as we've defined legalism as doing the right things without faith, I want to pause again. I don't want you to think like, wow, we can receive the grace of Jesus and then do whatever we want. Uh, Pursuing God and pursuing the things of God is not legalism. We want to follow God precisely the way that he is laid out in Scripture. Grace does not give you the license to live however you want or sin as much as you want. To the contrary, because of his grace, because of his rich mercy, of which we did not deserve, and that was his forgiveness, it's not that we have to do these things. We get to do these things. If someone gave you a million dollars and you paid off all your debts and you lived cush your whole life, do you think you'd hate that person? No. You'd want, you'd invite them over to your house. Hey, you're going to go swim in my pool. Hey, you're going to be, you're going to take a ride in my Bentley, right? Hey, you're going to, you're going to play some pool with me or whatever, or throw some darts. Cause I think if you have a million dollars, you have to buy darts. I don't know why, but you're going to do these things with me, right? You're not going to be mad at that person. But why in the world, if we really understand what the grace of Jesus Christ is all about, that he went to the cross and saw you, saw your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, will we say, I don't want anything to do with you, but I want your benefits. 
doesn't make sense, does it? The gospel of Jesus is by undeserved favor. That's yours for the taking. And it'll lead you into freedom that you can do things for Jesus because you love him. You see, you can do, there, there's, there's, people can do two same things. Okay, you have a person over here reading the Bible, person over here reading the Bible. This person's reading the Bible because they hope by reading the Bible, God will love them. This person's reading the Bible because they know that God loves them. They want to know more. Big difference, they're doing the same thing. Do this one. He loves you and you're doing it in response to him. Because guess what? Prayer and the Bible is often used in legalism as a weapon against you. You're not praying enough. You're not reading your Bible right, whatever it is. And you're like, and does that encourage you to read it more or pray more? No. The very privilege of talking to creator God, the very privilege of being able to read the revelation of Jesus Christ, the final authority for us. So when we know the Holy Spirit speaking to us, we know that if it matches up with the scripture, we know God is moving, right? It's a privilege. But yet all too often, it's used as a weapon against us in our own minds. Here's the awesome thing about Jesus. You're free to please the one. You're free to please only one. And that's God himself. No longer are you doing this to please ultimately a person. I'm not saying that you're to be a jerk or anything or, or to you know, not care about people. I'm just saying your ultimate aim is to please Jesus. And that's going to work out well for you in some areas. In some areas, it's going to be really, really difficult. But you please the one. You're set free in Jesus Christ to live for him. And it's a joy. It's a joy. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you doing the things you want to do. Your heart was made to live for God. Your heart was, was made to find your most satisfaction in God, in Jesus Christ. And the things in your life, whether they're good or whether they're bad or whatever, they, are, they want to stand in front of you to raise those things up as God's. And we got to take them down in the proper place and lift God up in the proper place. He is God and we were made for him. And we will be chasing joy and satisfaction the rest of our life if we never lift God up to the proper place in our life. God, I just pray for anybody in this place today that is struggling. I pray for anybody in this room today that has confused or they're, they're thinking different through different things. I pray for this person today that maybe their, their children are wayward or, or their, their, their job is lopsided or, or they don't even know how they're gonna pay their bills. God, I just pray they'd run to you. These things that are eating them alive, they'd run to you. As we continue to pray, I just want you to know this. Every single person in this room and everybody online, I want you to know that God loves you. God's pursuing you. He loves you no matter what you've done in your life, what you're experiencing right now. He loves you. Satan comes to seek, kill, and destroy. But God comes to give life and life abundantly. And what I want to talk to anybody in this room today is if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is your moment. He wants to give you the abundant life that's found in Christ. The abundant life is this, your forgiveness of sins. See, God created you to have a relationship with him, but your sin, your wrong in your life separated you from Almighty God. If we were left in that condition, we would forever be separated from him. We wouldn't have hope. But the reason why we're reading about hope today is because Jesus did something 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross. He paid for every single one of your sins. He rose from the dead. He defeated your sin and death and victory. Our response is this. If you want that forgiveness, if you want to be in right relationship with him, 
if you want to experience this joy and fullness in heaven, you have to personally tell Jesus, personally receive Jesus. I place my faith and trust in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. Just tell him that. Right now, get right with Jesus. Right now, say, Lord Jesus, I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you're saying, Jesus, I'm getting right with you this morning. Jesus, I'm placing my faith and trust in you this morning. If that's you, no one look around, just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Raise it up high and say, yeah, that's me. I'm placing my faith and trust in you alone. Thanks. Anybody else? So raising your hand doesn't save you. You're just indicating what God is doing in your heart. Anybody else? All right. Father, we thank you for those that are saying yes to you today. And Father, I, I pray for every single one of us that we would be prepared to stand in victory. That we'd be people that would be pure and contrite in your sight. We wouldn't go through the motions. We get real with our Savior. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.